This is Matthew McBride, author of Frank Sinatra and a Blender, and you're listening to Booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. We're back to books. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is A Swollen Red Sun by Matthew McBride, a book we've been looking forward to for quite a while now. Um, but first, a little bit about the author. He is a former assembly line worker living in rural Missouri. In his words, quote, These people are the people I know and see every day, and this is the world I know, unquote. He is also the author of the cult hit Frank Sinatra in a Blender. It's a nice, succinct bio. Yeah, I like that a lot. He didn't like rattle off a list of four million places that he'd been published. This is this right, is not even stuff. deer and deer hunting. I know, which is the best. Like, see, I, <laughs> seriously, if there was one acceptable thing to put in there, it would be previously published in Deer and Deer Hunting magazine. <laughs> exactly, that would be front right, and center. Here's a little bit about this evening's book, A Swollen Red Sun. God, drugs, corruption, and morality come together in this gripping tale of desperation. In Gasconade County, Missouri, once called the meth capital of the world, Deputy Sheriff Dale Banks discovers $52,000 hidden in the broken-down trailer that Jerry Dean Skaggs uses for cooking crystal. And he takes it. Banks knows what he did was wrong, but he did it for all the right reasons. At least he thinks so. But for every wrong, there is a consequence. Jerry Dean can't afford to lose that $52,000. He owes it to his partners and to a crooked cop. He also can't afford to disappoint the crazed and fearsome Reverend Butch Pogue, who is expecting Jerry Dean to deliver the chemicals the Reverend needs for his next batch of meth. To avoid the holy man's wrath, Jerry Dean sets in motion a series of events that will threaten Banks' family, his life, and everything he thinks he knows about the world. That's it. Keep reading. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's start at the synopsis. I would say that uh, a good synopsis, but this book is about so much more than just that. Right. That's a It's a loose framework, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff going on. So the book, yeah, basically starts off with this this $52,000 that a cop finds, a, a not crooked cop, um, as you may be led to believe by, you know, cops stealing drug money. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, he steals some money. And uh, oddly, the, you know, that's not the early focus for the, you know, let's let's call them the bad guys, you know, Jerry Dean and, and his other his other kind of cronies. It's not the early focus. Like, they find it pretty early. The money's gone. But they're less concerned with that than they are with some other things. Which is, yeah, it's it, there's a lot that to, to, to just like kind of sidetrack for a second. This is one of those books, and Livius has, has kind of put this in perspective to me a lot lately. Um, that's that's less about individual characters and more about the town in general. So um, it's got a ton of characters in it, and they all play, you know, pretty fairly equal like parts as far as how important they are in the story so if we were to give you a brief synopsis of what happened it would involve like 30 different people probably so (laughs) it's difficult to uh to easily encapsulate what the story is about but uh that's kind of the beginning uh conflict to the story so there's i guess the overall idea is just in in a small uh, like kind of country town or county, I guess that that like the situation. There's always good and bad stuff going on, and and the overall feel of this book is that the bad stuff kind of goes along at its own pace until something 
stirs things up and then bad kind of compounds a lot quicker than it usually would. So um, this $52,000 being lost um, for our bad guys um, sets off a chain of events where much more desperate things happen than usually would, I'd say. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. And I touch a little bit about what you said. It's because um, I was also thinking a little bit about this book and some other books that they were similar in flavor. Um, and, and things that came to mind were Knock 'em Knock 'em Stiff, Crimes in Southern Indiana. And we mm-hmm. talked about those books kind of in the the maybe negative um, connotations for those locations because of all the bad that goes on in it. But it occurred to me while I was reading this, because that's what I first thought, too, was like, man, he's going to catch a lot of shit. Because basically, save for a couple of women in this book, everybody's dirty to some extent, even <laughs> the cop. You know, I mean, his his dirt might be he finds his $52,000 of drug money and decides to keep it. You know, it's still, you know, crime. But, you know, I was thinking about this. There, There's probably lots of really good people in these towns, too. But at least to the likes of you and me and probably a lot of listeners of the, to this podcast those stories aren't going to be interesting to us. You know what I mean? Like the guy who lives across the street from Jerry Dean Skaggs, who fucking hates that his neighbor like cooks crystal meth. His story (laughs) is not interesting. Right. Because he like goes to work and he's got like grandkids he plays with. And you you know what I mean? So even though, you know, almost everybody in the story is, is, is crooked and bad to some extent, there's probably lots of really good people around them. They're just boring to hear about. Yeah, and actually McBride addresses that uh, in his author's note at the beginning of the book, which I was going to read because uh, my my concern is the exact same as yours, is that these people are not the majority of, of people in a town like this, and they're not the... They, they sadly become um, the typical kind of representation of people who live in the South. But I was thinking of reading the whole author's note because it's just a couple paragraphs. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I'll give it a shot. All right. Uh, I grew up in Gasconade County, and I've lived here most of my life. Geographically, I've taken a few liberties with the landscape, but the places are real. The roads and the hills and the hollers, they're not on any map, but you can find them if you know where to look. It is a rural landscape of uncommon beauty. On the other hand, Gasconade County has been called the methamphetamine capital of the world. In the 1990s, it was true. Maybe it still is. Yet in this community, you'll find honest, hardworking people. They are teachers and farmers and factory workers. But there are also a few low-life degenerates. That's the they are the ones I write about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, they're interesting. So sorry, farmer <laughs> and, and and you know factory worker. Nah, you're not gonna sell any books. Yeah, sorry, teacher. Yeah, teachers. Ugh. Well, you know what? I don't know. Walter White was a teacher. <laughs> I never watched that show. Oh, great show! Great show. And, and having anyway. to do with meth, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so even the teacher. Uh, never mind. We're not going to go down that road. <laughs> um, yeah, so huge cast of characters. One one storyline that I do want to touch on, um, just because I think that a lot of it's just too messy and maybe even spoilery for us to go into. Um, and he's mentioned right in the synopsis, Reverend Butch Pogue. So he's kind of, he's a very integral part of this because he's a catalyst for a lot of things that happen. But um, he's really kind of a a side character in at least uh, the amount of page time he gets. Mm -hmm. But he's like, he's like that that second season of Justified where where Boyd Crowder like gets religion, Mm -hmm. you know? But if Boyd Crowder was absolutely batshit crazy. (laughs) 
that guy was interesting. I want to know. I want to know if McBride actually knows that guy because that guy is the one I wanted to read more about. Yeah, like uh, I don't know what's spoilery or not, but like the dude just does weird stuff. Like uh, he lives up on this hill that not a lot of people go to, and and he'll have like wild animals, and um, he like like basically creates like these wild boar that he then hunts and just a lot of really weird stuff but he's super religious and um you know is against alcohol but he cooks meth so the dude is just crazy but in a very entertaining way yeah i'm actually going to read a a paragraph and this is one percent of the way into the book this is the opening lines of the Mm. book (laughs) they spent the afternoon butchering horses Reverend Butch Pogue drilled holes through the back legs and attached a contraption he'd built, then secured a metal bar above the hooves with bolts, and Junior pulled the tractor in low gear and raised the dead horse up in the giant oak where the Reverend skinned it out. Junior pulled the hide off in batches and sheets, and steam rose off the meat in waves of stench the Reverend found intoxicating. Yeah. I'm going to read you the next line just to really shore this up. They could buy cows cheaper than horses. But the Reverend liked horse meat. Yeah, the Reverend's a little cuckoo. <laughs> yeah. So, it's more like multiple wives and religious and people are terrified of him and a, just a great, great character. Um, and one, and this this has come up a few times podcast recently, one of those side characters whose stories I was so interested in and wanted to know like more about. Um, but I, like, I don't know. Maybe that's what makes him interesting is that I don't get the whole story. Yeah. Yep. I th- the thing that I like though is uh, he's such a mystery. But toward the end of the book, there's like these like one or two paragraphs where you are just slammed with a ton of information about him, and you're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, these puzzle pieces all fit together, and it's really interesting." But you still get that that sense of mystery, but a little bit more of it is revealed. It was kind of a cool yep. kind of service to the people who who dug the character and wanted to to know a little bit more. Yep, I agree wholeheartedly. That that just and, and like you said, although there was some satisfaction there, that just even even more. I was like, ah, I want to read that book, <laughs> you know, the book that's just about Pogue and everybody else is a side character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and since we're just kind of talking about individual characters, um, McBride does do a decent job of representing the other side of the coin, which is the the typical hardworking uh, all American type person that lives in this area. Uh, in the in the character Olin Brandt, who um, is basically a farmer who's uh, lost his wife just to, to old age. He's like 81, and he lives on his farm by himself. He tends his farm, still works on it. Uh, the only thing he has left is his dog, Sandy, who is you know aging as well. So he's not long for this world, but he's good friends with um, the the Dale Banks, the the cop. And uh, he's got a couple kids who have had uh, their share of, of trouble in the past as well. So um, his part throughout the book essentially is uh, that he's just the good guy. Like he's he's a he's a straightforward, really good dude um, because he's a farmer. Uh, you know, it puts him in a situation where he can be taken advantage of or or uh, victimized. Uh, and I won't go too much into detail, but. Uh, it, that and that his his one of his sons has been into some criminal activity. That's why he's in this story. But he is a really great representation of just like an average, hardworking man who has really good ideals and stuff. 
Yeah, a really sad, sad story for for Olin too. As you know, he's lost, like you said, everybody that's dear to him. He's got this one kid who's who's you know, currently locked up um, that he has nothing to do with. You know, and he's just kind of tired of life. So as as a good and upstanding a guy as he was, it was so terribly sad. Nearly every time there was a a scene that that he was in, you know, you kind of just felt this heartache for this old guy who he's just had enough and then of course you know as as is the case in in books like this you know some more gets piled onto him as well yep yeah but there is a little comic relief every now and then in the book uh not nearly as much as with frank sinatra in a blender but one of my favorite kind of funnier parts of the book was his uh his rooster beauregard who uh mm-hmm. <laughs> was just this goddamn menace of an animal and anytime anybody came to the farm like there was some reflections of like you know, earlier days and stuff. And anytime anybody was at the farm, the rooster would just like, uh, savagely attack people. And it was pretty funny the way that he was represented. I actually have a quote that I'll go into later that talks about that rooster. So, um, yes, absolutely. And quite possibly the only comic relief in this book was the goddamn (laughs) rooster. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The rest of it, very, very dark, violent. Um, and, 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 in some ways, very. I think a lot of times you get the the crime books, and everything is very very crime driven. But here we had like weird relationship stuff and and very real relationship problems. There's you know someone who's cheating on their on their husband, and there's jealousy, and there's you know suspicion between people, you know mistrust, distrust, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily related to crime, which was kind of nice too because it did give a more. I don't want to say accurate, but you know, just because someone's a criminal doesn't mean they don't have problems at home too. Does that right. make sense? Like, yeah. you know, that that kind of thing. So it was it was kind of nice to see it not be all one hundred percent crime driven. And then we got to see some family stuff from uh, from uh, Dale Banks, um, who you know, quite a few scenes were were with him and his his family, his children, and his wife. Um, even Bo Hastings and his wife, who's the like younger cop that uh, Dale has kind of taken under his wing. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I liked about that, and this is something that I'm glad I remembered to, to mention because I, I neglected to make a note about this. A lot of the scenes, especially with, with like the cops and their families, but even with the criminals in some ways, were told in these little vignettes that didn't necessarily further the story itself. So usually you get to a scene, you expect it to actually further the story. But there were quite a few parts where it was a little vignette of just what was going on at their home. Yep. That just kind of gave you a better picture of them, that broadened them as characters without necessarily advancing the the specifics of the story. Right. Which I found really nice, you know. Um because a lot of times it's in, you know, when you read these, you know, how, how to write a book and whatever, you know, and it says every scene has to advance the story. Well, sometimes the story is broadening the character. So you can have these scenes that, you know, would you have had a different story if you took a bunch of these out? No, there's probably 15 or 20 little, you know, two-page vignettes that you could remove from this and not have any different story, but you probably would have less broadened characters. Yeah, I fully agree. Yep, and and those were good. Uh, but, and again, that goes back to the idea that there's so many people, and it really is a portrait of what life can be like in, in this kind of town. So the town is more of... A, a protagonist in anything so those little little moments go to the overall like the anchor the the culture and the and, and everything together i think yep um i don't know what else we can say about story like when it comes down to it like 
some bad guys lose some money, you know, some good guys try to get the bad guys, and then a bunch of really weird, messed up, gross crime stuff, some sad stuff, a bunch of other just crazy shit happens all in the middle. <laughs> Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's... Well, and it's tough because we could talk about story, but there's so many different aspects. And like you said, so many different characters that all we would do is confuse people. It's just not a linear enough story. Sometimes we read a story, it's really linear. You can kind of talk a little bit about it in in direction. Um, This one's all over the place and not in a bad way, but there's just so much going on. Yep. Yeah. Like the guy that's saving up for the Firecracker 5000. Yep. (laughs) Bazooka Kincaid. That's a great name. Yeah. Um, there's Now, I had a couple observations. Is it okay if I throw in, in some observations that I had? Sure. Um, one of the things that I noticed, and this is just typical, I think, of the area or the time or what Matthew McBride does. I'm not sure. But um, <laughs> living in the city, this doesn't happen. So it's just something I wasn't used to. But, like... I, I could think of no less than five examples of times where people just stepped outside the door of their house to pee. Wait, so hold on. So what you're saying is this isn't what you do right where you're living right now? No, I mean, I don't just like hang it out the window and go to town. I have a bathroom. <laughs> yeah, see, that's that's rural, though, man. That's that's rural living, I think. I don't know. Uh, what do I know? I'm trying to sound like an expert. <laughs> Uh, I, it just, again, not criticizing it, but it just, uh, the first time I was like, oh, huh, that guy just pees outside. But then like, I, I mean, it had to be half the characters that were dudes just went <laughs> out, woke up in the morning, peed outside. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know what else to say to that. Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing that I noticed, there's a two things that. I don't know if these are intentional or, or coincidental. And I actually, I'm sure one of them is intentional. Uh, the Tar Hole uh, is a story that McBride wrote that's in uh, Noir of R2. So we talked about it when we talked about that book. And um, it's it's mentioned as well in, in this book. So um, I don't think that there was a, uh, a story continuity crossover, but um, it's obviously uh, something that McBride liked enough to... Uh, to bring back in this story and it's it's an interesting i mean it's just basically this like real deep hole that like people throw things in that are just they want to be gone forever so um it was cool that that uh he called that back and then this other one is a little bit more tenuous and when livius and i first our first road trip ever was to Corridan, indiana for the book release of crimes in southern indiana the frank bill uh, short story collection uh, at which Matthew McBride read a story, which I don't remember the title to, um, but it had a character named Darlene in it, and she was like this big woman, uh, and it had something to do with a car. I don't remember exactly what happened, but uh, I remember it being kind of funny, more of like the humorous kind of McBride style. If uh, is that mm-hmm. right? Yes. And um, there's a character in in Swollen Red Sun that's got a that's that's named Darlene that was a bigger woman who seemed very similar so I don't know if that was an intentional character crossover or just a, a similar character kind of portrayal but uh, those are the two kind of uh, call outs to other McBride uh, material that I found in the book yeah I mean I didn't catch the Darlene thing but um, 
when you mentioned it, the more I've been thinking about it, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure just based on some of the Darlene scenes later on in A Swollen Red Sun that that is uh, most assuredly, I would think, the same woman. Yeah, pretty confident it is. If you're a big fan of Darlene. You I'm, know. A, I'm a Darlene lover. Yeah, and uh, then this book is definitely for you. <laughs> All right, anything else you want to talk about before we uh, we start doing some quotes? I think it's quote time. I already did one, so I will let you do the next one. All right. Uh, <laughs> this is the Olin character. They're talking about him on his farm and everything. And uh, this took place at the very beginning of the book. And it kind of made me feel warm and comfortable because it had that kind of McBride humorous style that I like. It was the love of a good dog and the hate of a bad rooster that kept him alive. awesome yep i don't um i don't know how to do this one without being a little spoilery but i think it's it's important for me to kind of set this up a little bit so somebody is um basically kind of thrown into a into a cellar and this is kind of the 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 look back at at how this transpired so i'm gonna just kind of cut into this paragraph give you a little bit of setup for the final line which is the the payoff for me um, and as fall became winter and it came time for frost, they would warm her with a rusty vent that pumped in heat from the wood stove. But the heat drew up the spiders. And that's the way that little segment chapter ends. And holy crap, is that just not not terrifying in the, you know, you're afraid of spiders kind of thing. Just in that how well that was written to convey, yeah. like, how much worse that could get. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, because that's the whole thing. Was like it was just like the shittiest situation, and those mm-hmm. like five words made it infinitely shittier. Yep, God, I love that. That was that. That made me think maybe McBride should uh, should try his hand at like kind of horror, like a little more terror kind of stuff. Yep, this is a really quick one. That's uh, I'm leaving it out of context because it might spoil stuff. But I just thought <laughs> I just thought how horrible this would be. Then he did the first thing anyone would do. He got down on the floor and rooted through that cat shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You would do the same thing. I would root right. through all that cat shit. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a quote as much as a, just this situation that's later in the book that I laugh about it now while I was reading it. Like I could, I could feel like the despair and stuff. And again, it's really spoilery, so I'm not, I'm not even going to read from the actual thing. But there is a scene where somebody is trying to get somewhere, and the only vehicle they have, like the doors have been taken off and the seats were taken out of it. So it's a guy driving through, and 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 I've, you know, as we've talked before on the show, Rob and I have been in the hollers. Like we know <laughs> he's driving this thing. He's using a bucket <laughs> as a driver's seat. And there's this whole, it's like two or three paragraphs. And holy crap, like I was like, you know, like on the edge of my seat reading, I laugh now because it's a funny visual. Just imagine how terrifying that is, trying to drive on something that's like sliding around under you. You're sitting oh, on a bucket yeah. in, in in a truck, you know, <laughs> and just so well written and so well done. Like I said, I, I can't stop like kind of giggling about it now. But while I was reading it, I was really just absolutely riveted by that section. Yeah, that was... That was really gut-wrenching uh, stuff. 
All right, I got two that are just gonna run pretty quickly back to back. This one, I just like the quote: uh, "It's hotter than two rats fucking in a wool sock out there." <laughs> and then this, the other one is, um, it was uh, one of the characters whose name is his nickname is Fish, uh, but his name's Kenny Dwayne Fisher, is driving somewhere and he had just like gotten super high, and he was kind of thinking about being high. <laughs> <laughs> this was just like I thought this was hilarious. Though it was, this is part of his reflection on on being high. It was as though he was floating above the truck, looking down and seeing the truck, while he was also inside the truck, behind the wheel, looking up, seeing him, see himself, watching himself driving. <laughs> Maybe this book was funnier than we we always said it wasn't like really funny. Like, god damn it, there are some. Yeah, I guess there are some really good funny scenes in here. <laughs> I've got a few more funny ones too, but I know you got more. Yeah, I've just got one more um, that I want to do, and and again, this is I'm not going to give it any setup. It's late in the book, but it's just this. It's just this um, great, like, kind of observation uh, about this character. He compared evidence with instincts and allowed his curiosity to drive him. He had a thousand questions, but no one asked. That whole compared evidence with instincts is so so great and so kind of you know i don't know telling about this character just thought it was a really great line yeah um i've got one more kind of funny one and then i think i might have one or two serious ones the funny one is about jerry dean uh jerry dean moved as fast as he was able with as much stealth as a fat man at night with a semi-erection could uh this one just had a little bit of a, a decent amount of gravity for how small a short of a quote it was and there's a little bit of so the first sentence set up and then like the the last sentence is kind of the the bigger thought of it all uh there was a hole in his chest that banks could see from the door it was a small red circle and at that moment it was hard to believe that a small red circle could kill a man thought that was really good very good stuff and uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say what character this is, but I love this quote. She held her head in her hands, crying, tapping her swollen calves together like a white trash Dorothy Gale. Oh, it's good. That's all I got. I'm tapped out. All right. All right. All right, then I guess we'll move into uh, wrap-ups. Rob, would you like to go first, or would you like for me to go? Yeah, I'll go. Uh so first of all, we've been waiting for uh, a follow-up to Frank Sinatra in a Blender for quite a while. We reviewed it well over a year ago. And um, any stuff that we've gotten our hands on of McBride, we've really enjoyed. And so when we found out that uh, Mysterious Press, uh, Rob Hart's, uh, the place that Rob Hart works for, um, had acquired McBride's book, it was really exciting to know that it was on the horizon. So... Um, but the problem with that is, is that a book, uh, an author that you really, really love, uh, something of theirs, anything else is kind of uh, held to a higher standard. So I did my best to look at this as an individual work as opposed to holding it up to how I felt about Frank Sinatra in a blender. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, that's just to say that I approached the book with caution because I didn't want to expect another Frank Sinatra in a blender uh what McBride does really well is to portray what I feel is very honestly um, 
multiple angles of of living in um kind of this rural country um setting especially uh, a type of setting that's blighted by uh drug traffic and and methamphetamine use and there's a one of the heavier themes throughout the book is is just how almost inescapable the in meth is in a in a setting like that even there was one scene where there was like a banker who was just this white collar dude uh lost everything to meth and and so there was a lot of gravity to the impact that that drug has on people and i mean if you think about it it's very similar to the impact that crack first had when uh when it came out you know when it was when it emerged um and it's just like universally devastating so uh, that was a theme. It did have the little hints here and there of the McBride humor uh, that I dug from Frank Sinatra in a Blender, but not nearly as obvious or on the nose as in that book. But uh, it still was great. Um, and I love the overall story. He developed the characters very well. And even though he, he did more of like what I like to call a mosaic piece, where you're not looking at one major character, you're looking at everybody. Um, the story was still cohesive and linear enough to to not just feel like a bunch of vignettes that were thrown together. So uh, all in all, I thought it was a great book, uh, a good message. And um, in ways it was like you could tell that he had some sort of personal investment in the way that people live in situations like this and in areas like this. So um, that definitely came through as well. I thought it was a really good book. And I thought it would stand up against, I mean, like Livia said, we've read a bunch of these kind of um, rural crime fiction or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it has a tendency to all sound very similar and run together a lot. But I think what Livia said was really good is in one of the strengths of the book was he didn't just rely on crime elements. He relied on life situations and i think that was a really strong choice so i'm going to go with uh four and a half stars for this book man rob said everything i wanted to say so i'll probably keep it a little shorter i on the other hand um even though was told not to expect frank sinatra in a blender listeners of the show know me god damn it i expected frank sinatra in a blender (laughs) um it it didn't take you can tell me all you want i have my own expectations um yeah, it didn't take long for me to, um, you know, to, to understand that this wasn't going to be the same type of book, um, and I enjoyed it, uh, you know, in, in a in a very different way than I did Frank Sinatra in a Blender. Um, great characters, um, a lot of characters, which can be tough to keep straight for me, for someone you know, simple as I am. But uh, it, he did a good job with keeping them um, isolated enough that I didn't have any real trouble following a cast of thirty-ish characters. If if I had to count, I would guess that there's a around that many. Um, yeah, what Rob said, you know, holds up. It's it's not you know, it's not just a crime novel. It's it's a life novel, and and that's what kind of made it, um, I think, a little more special. Again, you know, we could have removed a lot of that stuff. We still would have had Jerry Dean Skaggs and and Reverend Butch Pogue and the and the cops and and the crooked cops and you know and the, all these other people running around. It would have been short on story, but it would have been shorter on feel. Um, and, and this book does kind of encompass a feeling that, you know, I'm sure Rob and I both think is an accurate portrayal of something we have no clue about at all. <laughs> the, the meth, the meth trade, at least I don't, I don't know, maybe Rob, maybe Rob knows more about it than I know about Rob, but, um, it was, uh, 
it, it, it moved very well. Um, not no real stretches of the imagination, and, and even some of the stuff that was really weird in there um, was brought to you in such a way that you you felt it. Like I said that that Reverend is a little nuts, man. But you know what? Getting into the story, you, you didn't doubt it as much as you might doubt it if Rob and I were to give you a rundown of exactly what the Reverend's activities were throughout the book. You'd be like, yeah, this guy doesn't exist. But it was rolled out in such a way that that it was very very believable and uh, and enjoyable. You know, on, on all on all fronts. Um, yeah, I would like to have seen a little more Reverend Butch Pogue, but, uh, you know, it is, as Rob had made some tie-ins to the Tar Hole and Darlene, maybe there's some Butch Pogue stuff floating around that we'll get uh, here in the near future, or that we can track down from the past. Maybe that's what he did in Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine. Maybe that's what uh, the Butch was, Pogue. Uh, hunting deer on the, <laughs> yeah, on the Pogue, on the Pogue, uh, oh, what the hell's church property called? There's a name for it, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh. um yeah i enjoyed it and and yes i think that the one thing that makes it stand out um quite a bit from some of the other rural crime stuff was the the character development and expansion and and the you know kind of getting glimpses into other parts of their lives so i think i think rob's right here i think it's four and a half stars boom mcbride still strong in our eyes yep 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 no ghosts so, uh, in uh, hotels at all in this book. I was expecting some kind of reference to yeah, our, some, our yeah. haunted hotel experiences. Yeah. And let's just be happy that we didn't get a bunch of spiders in our room instead. I'll uh, take the ghosts, I think. Good Lord. <sighs> but, you know, we're, we're as, as always, very, very timely, even though we're not recording this on a holiday. A holiday is upcoming, but... Today's kind of a holiday because uh, Matthew McBride made an announcement just a few short hours before um, we started recording this podcast. That's right. Um, well, apparently, first of all, uh, and this is the part of the announcement that I will take, book sales are doing well. Frank Sinatra and Blender is doing well, but um, in the short time that uh, A Swollen Red Sun has been out, it's been uh, selling apparently like some hotcakes. And I looked on Amazon the proof is there, dude. Uh, it's only been out like a week or two, right? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think it's a week, maybe. Twenty-eight reviews of those. Twenty are five star, and the other eight are four star. That's insane. Very nice. That is very good. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm gonna have to agree with you there. <laughs> I didn't look at Amazon, um, but yeah, that that type of rating and that many reviews is. Uh, I know we have a lot of writers that listen to this podcast too. A lot of writers would strangle somebody to have twenty eight reviews on something they put out three months ago. Yeah. So yeah, very strong opening for uh, for McBride with this one. But meh, this isn't what I was excited about. <laughs> so we move on to announcement number two. Apparently, Frank Sinatra in a blender has been optioned for film. Typically, that's exciting news. Hmm. Um. Yeah. How cool is that? Got to be. For um, you know, for a writer and an up and coming writer, no less. You know, Stephen King. I'm sure he gets his books, uh, his books optioned. You know, based on a synopsis on a book for a book he hasn't written. But uh, that's got to be pretty goddamn cool. Yeah, um, but I mean, like once bitten, twice shy. There's been a lot of. I just wanted to make that that stupid reference. But uh, there's been a lot of so many books that I've loved that you know have been optioned. And nothing mm-hmm. inevitably comes out of it. So uh, I hope that at the very least that means that McBride got kind of a second paycheck out of Frank Sinatra in the Blender. Um, my ultimate hope is that it does get actually to 
the screen, but um, I, I'm not going to build my hopes up too high until it gets like to the term, the dermaphoria like levels of, of completion. Mm-hmm. Um, so very I happy for gonna, I, I am going to read this from the Gasconade County Republican.com. Um, and because I don't, and no, as listeners may know, I don't know anything about movies, so I don't know what any of the parts are, but here we go. Uh, writes for Frank Sinatra in a blender were optioned by Mike McCrary, a screenwriter from Texas. McCrary's manager, Mason Novick, is a film producer. His films include Juno, which is kind of a big deal. I haven't seen it. Red Eye. I haven't seen that. 500 Days of Summer. I haven't seen that. Or Jennifer's Body, I haven't seen that. But you know what? I recognize like three of those titles, which means they must have been pretty big deal movies. Dude, you haven't seen Juno? No. Wow. But you have seen a very compromising picture of Diablo Cody. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, hey, Red Eye, was that about an airplane flight? <laughs> I don't know that one at all, to be honest, but um, I know 500 Days of Summer was, uh, uh, I think it was Zoe Deschanel and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It was like a kind of a girly flick. I didn't see it, but every girl I know has. Mm -hmm. And um, what was the other one? Jennifer's Body. Isn't that like a horror movie? Jennifer's Body. Yeah, maybe. I've heard of it. Sounds familiar. I was told that I would like it. It shows up in my Netflix, like, you might like kind of things. I always wonder how they actually come up with those because Amazon does that too, you know. And I go, eh, I don't really see the connection. But any rate, maybe some Nick Valentine on the big screen or the little screen. Who cares which one? I don't care. Yeah, just I don't it, to see movies on yeah. my screen. That's all I care about. Yeah, exactly. So very cool for Matthew McBride. Congratulations on another terrific book and an option for a movie. Yeah, it, it must just be like the option season or something. Could be, um, because there's other exciting news, and this is more exciting for me than it is for um, for Rob, but uh, Jonathan Mabry, Mabry, I don't know, we're never going to figure out how to pronounce that, but uh, <laughs> the guy who called us the best podcast on the internet. He did do that. Remember that? that? I remember that. Yeah. He um, also has, uh, has a couple of options, um, apparently option two different things, um, Extinction Machine, which is a book from the um, Joe Ledger series and the Joe Ledger series itself in its entirety, I guess. I'm not really clear on what happened here. Hmm. Um, both were optioned for uh, for movie and or television. That's pretty exciting. It's very exciting. I love the Joe Ledger series. I am a book behind, mostly because of this podcast and my dedication to you, the listeners. Um, but the Joe Ledger series, absolutely brilliant like really crazy actiony stuff kind of crossed with a little bit of sci-fi it's really neat stuff so i think it would actually play really well on the uh, on tv in a almost like kind of actiony x-files kind of way oh nice yeah like if like if uh the x-files uh, if if scully and and Mulder like had the backing of like a crazy like green beret team Um, I would definitely watch that. I, I'm not gonna lie. I would totally watch that. Yeah. yeah so, but do you want know what I'm excited cool about? For... You tell me. Uh, Chuck Wendig's uh, Blackbirds being optioned for a TV series on Stars. <sighs> Stars does good shit, man. Now, who have you pictured who would play uh, Miriam Black in your mind? Like, have you cast it in your mind? I have not. No, but I, I get the feeling that you may have. 
I did while we were talking just now. Um, uh, I, I'm going to say her name wrong, but Numi Rapace, Rapace, the oh. uh, from the Swedish uh, girl with the dragon tattoo movies. Mm-hmm. Totally. That would not be a, as long as she can like pull off English really well. Yeah, and and she's got that like uh, punkish uh, kind of feel to her. I don't know. I just see her in that role. Dude, it's funny that you said that because, of course, as you mentioned it, I pull her up on on Google. You know, you got the images that load on the side, like from the IMDb page or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she doesn't look like that in any of them. Like she cleans up really, really nicely. So. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> so, but no, I I get what you're saying, and you know what, you're probably right. So she is a Swedish actress, though. So I don't know if she could pull off the kind of, you know, I don't know, whatever bitchy, confrontational, you know, typical white girl oh, what was she in she was in she's all in the american shit now like she was in uh prometheus oh yeah that movie was terrible i, I shouldn't say that because <laughs> sometimes you need that hour and a half long nap wow it was a really good nap then huh yeah yeah she was in uh according to wikipedia she was also in uh, sherlock holmes a game of shadows oh right yeah and uh kind of a oh, you know what i do kind of remember her from prometheus now that i see this picture of her uh, and she was in something called Dead Man Down, whatever that is. She was also in some uh, pretty wicked dreams I've had. <laughs> right? Yeah. Would you like? Would you care to tell us about those? Really good English accent in those. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's so funny to look at her filmography. Is that yeah. His filmography, because yeah, up until 2007, I can't pronounce one thing on here. Do and Jog, <laughs> Blood's Brother, which might I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's Swedish for Blood Brother. <laughs> It's like a, I'm really rusty on my Swedish, but uh, it's yeah. probably a safe bet. Yeah, I, you know. So this this kind of kind of brings up an, an interesting topic. You know, we get very very excited about these things, uh, and I'm very and don't get me wrong. There's a ton of movies that I've I've you know been very happy to you know to see go from books that I've liked to to the screen, and in some cases where I've rushed to read a book before I saw a movie. But uh, and and obviously for the authors, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But writers, I, I think, and not all, because I know there's there's some out there. I'm not going to name any names that hold movies in very very high regard. I get the feeling that a lot of writers, if you were to put film versus books, kind of look down on books as like the the low rent version of storytelling. So the question, I guess, is: Is it really good that we're getting movies from great books or TV shows or whatever? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. Like, there's a big divide there because in books, the engine of the story is the reader's imagination, whereas, like in a film, the engine of the story is the creator, is their imagination. Mm -hmm. So, like the director and the and the you know the writer, because typically it's the writer is the director. So, um, I guess uh, that's really difficult to say because, um, for those of us who have very active imaginations, what we see on the screen could be disappointing as opposed to what we were able to accomplish in our minds. But for, for people who just, you know, prefer the work to be done for them. Yeah. I don't know. I got super like philosophical on it, I guess, just now. Well, it's just funny because everybody goes, oh, yeah, the book's the book's better than the movie. That's 
almost across the board. The the response you get when someone says, "Oh, you know, did you see the movie of this or this is coming out in a movie or whatever." But we get very excited about those movies. Whereas if we we're just talking about it after the fact, we oh, the book's so much better. I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting thing. I mean, like Benicio del Toro's The Strain. Mm-hmm. He co-wrote that with, oh God, Chuck something Hogan maybe. Um, is going to be starting on FX here in like a week. Very excited about it. I read the first two books in the Strain series. I really liked them. Just never got around to the third one. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm excited about it, but ultimately, I really like that book. I don't know. That, you know, I don't know that the TV show can hold the same, the same standard. I guess. I think another problem too is like, in translating from a movie. I'm sorry, from a book to a movie, things will get left behind and. If there was something in the in oh god, a fucking excellent example is the movie The Ninth Gate, which um, Mm -hmm. practically doesn't (laughs) even resemble the book that it was based off of. Um, But if you loved the book for all the elements of the book, and then you watched the movie, you would think the movie was horrible because it basically took a a very light framework of of stuff in the book and made a movie around it. If you just watched the movie and liked it, you know. It's a good movie, but if you were if you were holding it up to the book, it's an awful movie. So, um, the, I think the danger of of losing the things that you like so much about the book, for me at least, is is a lot of the trouble I have. Is like, why didn't they go there? Why didn't they do this? World War Z comes to mind, even though I haven't seen the movie because I kind of just flat out refuse. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. Where, you know, you have this brilliant, brilliant book and the things that make that book special are the multiple views of how this happens. And instead it turns into, you know, Brad Pitt running around avoiding zombies for, you know, whatever, two hours. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, there you go. So we just killed the hopes of Matthew McBride, Jonathan Mabry, <laughs> and Chuck Wendig on there. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You guys are getting Brad Pitt doing something for a little bit of time that doesn't re- remotely resemble your books. Yeah. Well, uh, let's hope that that Frank Sinatra and the Blender is handled with a little bit uh, better uh, talent and care and uh, and enthusiasm, because I think it's a story that um, I mean a little bit more on the goofy side, but but you know could really could really do well in a cinematic kind of perspective. Yeah, I mean, Jim Carrey's primed, primed to do this role. <laughs> I'm kidding. Jim Carrey. Jim Maybe Carrey's even doing funny. anything. Is he doing anything? Oh, Dumb and Dumber 2. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Right. I, yeah, people are excited about that. I don't get it. Well, while we're on movies, can I just mention the, the movie that I just saw a trailer of this? Um, uh, thank you to Rose O'Keefe for posting this on Facebook because somehow this had... Uh, this had eluded me, but uh, there's a new Dracula movie coming out. Rob, have you seen this, the, the trailer for this thing? I have not. It's called Dracula Untold. It, uh, I was going to say, this looks to be a far more historical version of Dracula than the other ones. Um, at least in that he's still kind of, you know, Romanian prince fighting the Turks. Um, but he kind of seeks out a way to save his country and his family. Basically becomes a vampire um, to do that. Dude, you've got to watch this trailer. There are these crazy scenes with like swarms of bats that like fight on his side. 
and when I say fight on his side, there's just this this awesome scene where you know there's this just crazy swarm in the sky that's like kind of making these formations, and he like punches the ground, and these bats all come down, and it's like an explosion of like you know soldiers. I'm guessing Turks everywhere. It's just fantastic, dude. That totally sounds awesome. To see this in October. It, it looks pretty goddamn cool. So very very excited about that. <laughs> We should start up a movie review podcast called, uh, I don't know, because I'm a little bit on the chunky side. We could call it something like Fat Day. <laughs> you know what? That uh, that web that website might be available, <laughs> fatnaypodcast.com. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Yeah, I'll definitely watch me some Dracula. All right. Um, one more thing we should address before we move on for the evening. Um, we did have a submission from a Adam Otten. That came through uh, the booked studios um, just yesterday. Rob, would you like to cover that little bit of that? Yeah, so uh, we got a, a nice little audio clip called Book D Days um, sent over from our man AAA. Uh, we're not going to air it. And he should know better <laughs> because on the last episode when we were talking about uh, doing a new, uh, a new series uh, not necessarily podcast, maybe YouTube channel called hundred happy days. Uh, we specifically said, don't send anything in because we won't air it. And he sent it in anyway. And I got to tell you, as always, he put a lot of work into it and it was really goddamn funny. Yeah. Maybe if I feel like it, I might throw it over on the booked bonus website, which is, uh, some not necessarily defunct, but very underserved. Uh, so people could listen to it if they want to, but we're not adding it to the uh, the episode on principle because we said we wouldn't. That's right. And if we don't have our word, will, what do we have? Yes. If you do happen to hear that on the... Well, we have this clip is what we have. It's just ours to listen to. <laughs> I will say that um, this Livius wishes he sounded as cool as the Livius in Bookty Days. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, how, I I somehow became the Fonz, I think, or we both were. I, I was confused. I, I don't know, but whatever it was, it was goddamn funny. It was good. So, so thanks for sending it in. We're not going to play it for you. A couple quick notes. I just want to make sure you guys get as much Livius and Rob as, as humanly possible. Uh, this is Horror Just the Other Day from when we were recording this. Uh, posted their latest episode. I believe it's episode 19. Uh, in which uh, Livius and I guest star, and we spend about an hour and 40 minutes talking about, mostly about the TV show Hannibal, and then digressing into other TV shows. Gossip Girl was talked about, Game of Thrones was made fun of, uh, it was a great time. So definitely go over to This Is Horror, subscribe to that podcast, because we essentially are part of that podcast too, um, and listen to that episode. <laughs> Um, a great time was had. Um, we always have a lot of fun with those guys. Why they let us talk for that long, totally beyond me. Notice, Rob and I will not go over like an hour, typically, unless we have a guest. It's true, yeah. Other thing I want to mention is that the Crime Wave episode featuring Nick Corpon is coming in the next couple days, so it may be out by the time you listen to this. If you are an early listener, um, just keep looking out. It'll be up in the next couple days. Again, that's Nick Corpon reading his story straight down the line from the booked anthology. So make sure you head over to the Crime Wave feed. Subscribe to that as well because Livius and I are the ongoing hosts of that podcast. And we're bringing you some really good crime uh, audio stories over there. 
Man, we're busy. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. <laughs> I know. Uh, oh, also, we have day jobs. So if you want to just send us money so we don't have to work as much, that'd be really awesome. That would be very, very awesome. Um, and we say that jokingly, but seriously, like private message us. We'll totally give you PayPal addresses to send that money to. That's right. Um, <laughs> speaking of busy, and this is totally me holding us up. Not sure what the next episode's going to be. I know what the next book review is going to be. I'm just not sure if I can get this done in time. So uh, uh, next book review will be Dean Koontz, someone we have not reviewed on this podcast. Um, but a pretty big author and a guy I've read a couple books from. Rob, have you ever read any Dean Koontz? I was going to say, this is going to be a first for me. I have never read any Dean Koontz. So we'll have uh, you know, kind of different approaches and perspectives mm-hmm. to reading Dean Koontz. Yeah, mine might be very similar to yours because I've read some Dean Koontz I really liked. I've read some Dean Koontz that I couldn't get through. So I'm not not in love with Dean Koontz. I'm in love with some of Dean Koontz stuff. So, um, But yeah, The City and possibly even a little bit on the prequel short story, which apparently, I guess we don't read a lot of um, bestseller stuff, is starting to happen more and more where like two, a month or two before I drop, someone will put a tie-in story available for like a 99-cent Kindle short story. Mm-hmm. And apparently this is happening more and more. So maybe we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. So that could be next week. It could be the following week. We might throw something in there in between. We'll have to we'll have to let you know. It's a busy time of year for uh, for booked guys. A lot of shit on our plates, but not like shit. Not like there's plates with shit on it. But like there's a lot of shit <laughs> on just, our plates. I was just gonna throw out like a, there are plates <laughs> filled with shit. <laughs> I was waving my hand in the air, my fist in the air when I said that. I don't know why because <laughs> nobody can see me. Cursing your fate that there's a shit plate somewhere nearby. Shit plate. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to, we can't possibly talk about anything else this episode. So that's going to wrap it up. Make sure, again, you check out This is Horror, Crime Wave, and come back for next week of Booked. Something will happen. We're not really sure what. Until then, I am Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. <laughs>